You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. So, Marcus Veer, welcome to this short update interview. Last time we talked was about uh, spring of 2022. Yeah. And um, at that period, we talked about your route to living in a box, the five years that living in a box were ex- in existence back then between 85 and 90, and that sort of predetermined end when Richard Derbyshire, of course, left the band. And then in 2016, you reformed with Titch, who was one of the original members, and you had um, taken in a singer, um, Kenny Thomas, and you were at a point where the singer was going to change and you were going to work with Brian Chambers. So bring me up to date, really, what's happened since that point, because I know that you played um, some live gigs that summer. That's right. Well, we did some shows, the uh, some of the bigger festivals we did with Brian, and of course we jumped, we threw him straight in at the deep end. Um, How did is, you get on? <laughs> he went on. I mean, he's great. I mean, I knew that from the start that you know he'd worked with Pink Floyd and and done a lot of stuff with Beverly Knight and done a duet with her that I'd heard. I uh, saw him do live actually, and um, where was it? I think it was uh, yeah in the in the West End, one of the big West End shows. Um, and he he's just got a, a voice that's very similar, slightly smoother than Richard's, but he's got the same timbre and the same sort of tenor stroke baritone kind of richness to his voice um and he's got the innate soul as well which 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 of course we needed that kenny had too so uh it's great because it's evolved again but it's still very much living in a box because they're living in a box songs but he fitted in really well and he was so sweet because he was very excited to to be you know to take it on a bit daunting two great singers that have gone before him on that front and so uh yeah it, it worked out great he was fantastic and the audience yeah. and the it's, you know, really warm to it because I think that first of all, think, hang on a minute, who's this now? Do you know what I mean? That it, it tends to be a little bit like that. Um, but the, I think the evolving nature of, of things with, with all things in life, I mean, some people go, oh, you know, but Richard, but Richard, I go, well, that was so long ago, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't have a life force and something to contribute. And, and but most people just take it on and go, oh, yeah, fantastic, loving it. You talk about um, involvement. Is there any, you know, do you have to sort of change the arrangements of the songs in any way or how has that worked? Um, not really. I mean, I had to listen very carefully to the keys that we put the songs in originally. That, that And then we, I think Richard in 2004, when we did a Here and Now tour, um, wanted to slow a couple down and bring them down a half a key or a whole tone. Um, so we'd kept them in those, in those keys, uh, which worked very well for Kenny. And actually, it turned out that they're exactly the same keys that Brian would want to have su- to have sung them in. So, fortunately, technically, to get those songs right for Brian was was not it was not a problem at all. I mean, one thing that's really fascinating is I've been fo- following, of course, "Living in a Box" official on uh, Instagram, and you've been posting these uh, rehearsal tapes. So, how did they come around, and and why have you decided that you want to sort of get that out there now? Well, I think sometimes, you know, especially with a band like "Living in a Box," which had this kind of enigmatic quality to it in the first place. We were never pushed to the fore. I think we might have talked about that in our last interview a little bit about bringing stuff in that the you know, record company were sort of insisted that we should be uh, sort of un- unseen um, as if we'd come in from the New York club scene in the middle 80s, um, which did turn out, I think, to be a little bit of a mistake when, when you've got Curiosity and, and, and all the rest of them on the front page of every magazine and, you know, very identifiable. Richard and, and the rest and, and Titch and I were sort of almost like, well, not quite sure who living in a box are. And especially with living in a box by living in a box, the whole eponymous thing, it made that even even more tricky. So nowadays, I think sometimes it's like living in a box. Oh, yeah, I remember that song. Yeah, but what about the band? What about Room in Your Heart? Top five ballad, Blow the House Down, number 10. You know, there are, there are songs that 
obviously living in a box fans know, but for everybody else, it sort of gets lost in the soup. So the idea behind the the rehearsal tapes was we'd got the band together to rehearse for a, for a show that we were doing, a full live band, the Living in a Box band, the full the full Monty. Uh, and they're an incredibly music, incredible musicians. And I thought just because I had this the company that I have that does the, the kids' television, I've got a film crew basically that I could just bring in at the drop of a hat. Um, we, had, we had a really nice rehearsal studio down at Bush Studios. And I thought without telling the guys that they were going to be filmed, um, that we would bring the cameras in and see how it turned out. But of course, you're risking it because it's it's life, really life. It's one or two passes. That's all you're going to get. Um, and each take is going to be for real. It's not like you can overdub it and run it again. The risk is that, of course, it's so appalling that you can't put it in the public domain. And there might be some parts that are slightly rough around the edges. And I seem to remember Brian had a cold that morning. Um and uh, but, you know, I'm so glad that we filmed it because it was great to, to put those things out there. This is Living in a Box version 3.0, of course. And, um, you know, but the song's still still there. And the love that we've had from that, uh, both on Twitter and Insta and, and on our um, YouTube and so on, has been really, really lovely. And I'm glad we did it. I'm really glad we did it. I mean, the sound is incredibly tight and it's and uh, it's really great to see that. And also there's a certain chemistry there. There is, there is, and the the, the two girls, um, Haley and Rachel, who came in, who worked with Heaven Seventeen and Martin Ware. I think we might have discussed this before. Is a very close friend of mine, um, and and the girls work often on the sort of eighties tours, you know, the rewinds and the Let's Rocks and all that kind of thing. So there's a little group of them, but they we brought them on board, and we rehearsed. Brian, being a, a superstar backing vocalist in his own right, you know, having taken the lead um, with 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 Pink Floyd as well, you know, as we said earlier, many many artists. If you look at his resume, just runs, you know, who hasn't he worked with really? So for him, he's really picky about the BVs, about the backing vocals. So he re- got together with the girls, and they think they particularly like, oh my god, you know, Brian is is such a hero in our world. But they really lifted their game as well. But they're they're fantastic, and the chemistry between them and him really carries it, and and it made it absolutely worth putting out on, in the public domain. When I wasn't quite sure uh, whether it was going to work, I'm thrilled that we did it. I mean, one of the tracks that you, you put out is the the cover of Teardrops. Uh, yes. Womack and Womack and of course the connection with Womack and Womack is throughout Living right. in a Box's uh, history which is also really nice to see exactly yes will you be writing new songs because you wrote a number of songs for Martin Fry ABC on the look of yeah. too and I yeah. and I, I can't imagine that you've ever given up writing so no. are you writing actually new songs for Living in a Box well you, it's uh, funny you should say that I mean I think the way it would go there are songs that are lying around in my head and stuff that I never really finished. And there are things that I could easily start up from scratch. I think it's possible that we could do something. Um, I would probably write something new and put it in a live set, which would be the absolute opposite way to, of course, the way we did it in the eighties in which we would have written something and never done it live. So, um, you know, I think we will, I'll probably write something new, drop it in the set and just see how it goes down and play it without, of course, announcing that here's a new song by Living Watson was it clears the dance floor and everybody goes to the bar, which is what usually happens, not just to us, but to everybody. Because, of course, you're playing in, in basically nostalgia uh, and legacy uh, environments where people want to hear the hits. I can understand that. It's like, oh, OK. But, you know, as a result of the the, the rehearsal tape series that we put out, or I'm putting out now on the on on um, social is is that people are going wow, this is such a great vibe. You know, why aren't you out there with new material? I mean, a lot of it is down to commercial practical reasons, you know, getting out, the, getting the distribution, doing yourself, you know, making videos, all that kind of thing. It has, it has a cost element, although it's much less nowadays than it, than it was. Um, you know, we were making videos at 70 or 80 grand a throw, just like as if it was, you know, 
nothing. Now you got to around, run around, do your own thing. But then because I've got my own film business as well, I could I could do that. So I've just got to get be convicted about it. Steve is the honest is the honest truth. I can't make excuses anymore. I've just got to go. Yeah, you know, I've got the I've got the band. I've got the the one of the greatest vocalists I've ever worked with, including Richard. Um, what is the problem? So I just can do it. Sorry, many bands when they when they sort of reform to go on tour, it's it's purely for financial reasons to sort of make money at the 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 end of their career. But both you and Titch had successful careers after the dissolution of Living in Box in 1990 yeah. with Titch with his um, um, lighting illumination company and you, as you mentioned, with your film company in, in award-winning yeah. uh, children's DVDs. Yeah. And you didn't really need to come back to this uh, for any financial reasons. So what does it mean for you to be, to be able to perform music in the studio uh live to be back in a to be back in a band what does it mean to you why does it mean so much well i think it's if you ask any musician you know it's in your blood you know we can't we're, we're cursed by this blessed gift that we have um you know that, that once we're in the music scene you're in it inextricably you're interlinked i think for me part personally i think when i started having kids and they were seeing stuff on on tv and, and they were seeing the old videos or they'd hear the song on heart 80s or, or absolute 80s and they would go crikey you know you're still being played on the radio we go yes but that is that era you know and they wanted to know a little bit more about it and then i think as uh time progressed and they became older i thought well you know why not put this back together we were approached to do some let's rocks and some rewinds and some other shows which gave us the opportunities after once you start doing one track, you may as well do three, and then you you then you get asked to do full sets where you might be doing twelve tracks. You're then rehearsing up, and there's a body of work that you're at, you've actually invested in time and getting the musicians together and doing that. So you're kind of ready once you, you're ready to do one show. You may as well do as many as you're on, as are on offer. And once you start that, of course, people do start asking for interviews. You start talking about it again, and then inevitably people are asking about new music and so on and so forth. Um, and it sort of snowballs really it snowballs put your toe in the water and the next thing you know you're 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 in it again and and you're right it's not something that we do for for financial reasons but it's it's very rewarding and it's great not to have, have just left it there and just go we'll never do that again um to to bring it up to date and potentially to drop something new into it which which you know is is possible what's amazing about this, you know, you mentioned the heritage charts, and you mentioned Let's Rock and the Rewind Festival, and and things like that. Where and they are massive gigs, aren't they? They're not mm -hmm. small things; they're massive gigs. So tell me, like, what it's like to perform at those? How you know what sort of audience is there, and how well do they know everything that you've done? Well, they basically when you're doing the the, the big uh, festivals, there are sort of 30 or 40,000 people in a field, you know, I mean, you, I remember when we, when I took my kids to, I think we'd done three or four before then, but we did Rewind in Henley, which is one of the bigger ones. And as you drive in to where the artist access is, you come over the hill in Henley and you drop down and on the other side, you can, you can see the entire, what looks like to be a tented village or an entirely new town with all the generators and the bars and the clubs and the facilities and this huge, huge stage and this swathe of colorful individuals in day glow dressed as Super Mario or whoever it might be. Um, and I remember my kids thinking, crikey, you know, this is, this is just awesome. And so you step out on stage and then you're on this tidal wave of sound um, and you and it, and it comes back and it's a very weird sort of almost like Star Trek teleportation time travel kind of thing where you're you step out on stage and the, and the track Living Vaults might start up and it's 
pretty much exactly the same as it was, but in front of a live audience, in front of tens of thousands of people, as it was back in the day, because the song is the same. And, and everybody wants to hear that. They don't want to hear necessarily a, a new version of it. They want to hear it as they remember it. Um, and of course, they know every single word. And then you get to the end chorus and, and that song stops dead because the DJs used to love that because they could they could time their their chat on Radio One or whatever. Um, and they keep singing. They keep singing Living in a Box. And I think I think um, Brian had them singing for about a minute and a half, the end chorus, a cappella, just the whole crowd. And it's it's just stunning. It's like a it's so powerful. It's wonderful. And that gives you tingles and get you up doing it again. I mean, there's this fear of trepidation when you step out on stage. Of, <gasps> everybody has that moment, the waiting. But once the track starts, you're in and it's just wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it must be amazing for artists when they've created something that's hit the zeitgeist. At a, at a certain time, gone out into the culture and has become such a part of the culture that it means so much to so many people. And then to That's have it. that come back to you yeah. later on, that must be wonderful. It is. And I think it's what we all do it for, really. I mean, there are some who do it professionally in a way they you know, they just they're out there all the time. They're doing 100 or 200 shows. Um, you know, we're lucky if we do 10 or 12 shows in a year that, you know, that we can do and that we want to do. Um, but it's still the same. You know, you, you walk out there and I get the same kick now and it's very weird. You know, what can you do 35, 40 years later? That's exactly the same as it was 35 or 40 years ago. I mean, there really isn't, is there? And music is one of those things um, that's just all encompassing that ties you down to a moment in time um, that is that is like nothing else. I mean, you're doing these rehearsal tapes, so you're rehearsing in a, in a studio. Do you go and do anything smaller before you go onto the onto the big festivals just to get yourself <laughs> ready, or are you are you not ready? really? I mean, you do get to do obviously a full band rehearsal before you know with their production team, so you pretty much know what you're going to be doing. But no, it's straight in at the deep end. There's no sort of go. Let's go off to Poland like it was in the old days, and let's do a few <laughs> club dates. Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, you know, or Czechoslovakia or whatever it was at the time. You know, that is not, no, it's, it's just, you know, and they're all, they're, what I love about it is that the level of professionalism amongst all the artists who are performing is spectacularly high. The level is superb. You know, at first I, I wondered a little bit about, like, could this be some sado uh, event that, you know, that we just about all get through and we kind of wish we hadn't done it because, you you know, you've got a legacy in people's minds. They hold you up here and then all you can do really is destroy it potentially. Um, so there is a balance about thinking about that. But but uh, but once we got going, we'd seen that the level of sound and the songs and the, the love for the audience, just wanting to get back into that in, into that zone again and hear those tunes that they all with the, the, the backing track or the soundtrack to their lives. Yeah, we wanted to be part of it. And and uh, we still do. It's brilliant. It's great. It's still going. I mean, I think I was talking to Mitchell the other day and he was saying, you know, if you told me that this is still going to be happening 25 years later, these these legacy tours, which started at near, you know, about 20 years ago now. Um, he said, I wouldn't have believed it, you know, and it's still going and, yeah. and growing in various parts of the world. I mean, I know there's a one in Dubai that started one in South Africa, they're in the States, they're in the Caribbean, all the cruises that they do. There's one in Australia. You know, it's not losing energy, it's gaining energy. It's quite, spect it's quite spectacular. I mean, you made an interesting point there because I've found with many people that I've talked to, they've developed their craft in between. So when they do go back on stage, they're actually sometimes better than they were yeah. back then because maybe back then they were more of a um i mean not you i know that but back then some artists were like a video band rather right. than a true you know a real band and so on well and so i'll tell you something steve we actually were a video band that's the that's the kind of hypocrisy of it because um we were great musicians i mean not blame my own trumpet but we could play richard could sing and play an amazing guitar 
Titch, a great drummer and percussionist, you know, and I could play the keyboard and we wrote our own songs. We didn't really get the opportunity to go out live. Um, you know, that wasn't a thing that, in, it, you know, unless you got to a certain level, you really wanted to afford to be able to do. You made more money or had you know, arguably more fun just putting out a new video and letting MTV, as you, you know, um, break your record in, in, in various markets and let them do it for you. It was only, you know, going out on tour, getting tour support from the record company was just another huge cost as far as we were concerned. And by the time we got to be ready to sort of go out and do some live work, Technology also had to move for us because, you know, we were very sequenced up, a bit like Scritti Politti, um, sort of based on the sort of the idea of the system, you know, that two piece based out of New York, um, David Frank, and I can't remember the name of the lead singer. Um, you know, so, so you know, a MIDI was just becoming a thing. Uh, so tying all that stuff in with the live rock stuff it was only really achievable almost past the point when we were ready to do it. So doing it now, it's actually easier in a way because we've got so much tech. Um, you know, all the key, all the keyboards and computers and stuff that we can sync everything up and we can prepare any tracks that we need. That that makes it so much easier because you don't, you know, the baseline to living in a box, which is basically hot water by level 42. Thank you, Mark King. Um, uh, you know, that that unless you've got Mark fronting it on bass, you know, you really need to seek some of that on tape. You know, it's 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 so things have changed, fortunately, in time for us to jump on and and actually enjoy the the status quo with, with both technically and having an audience who want to hear it and us wanting to do it. It's all arrived at the, the right time. I mean, I presume you'll be playing again live in the summer. Is there a more supportive atmosphere between artists today than mm. there was back then? Because I presume when you're when people are starting out, they're more desperate to be successful. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And yes. then there's a sort of, you know, an air of like they want a competition. Yeah. And maybe today there's more an air of support because everyone's grown up and more relaxed. Well, of course. Yeah, and I think that's very true. I mean, um, back in the day, I think the, the way the artists sort of were going, there were the sort of the, the egotistical ones who were sort of like... Um, you know, individuals who sort of felt a God-given right to be there, and this is the thing. And the other, the rest of us were all like, we can't believe we're here. We're actually in BBC TV Centre doing, you know, Top of the Pops and and me hanging out with all the, all the people that we've admired over the years where we were performing with them and then going off and do these festival bars and these Italy, Italy things and Spain and France and huge audiences. And, yeah, we, we just couldn't believe it. Now, um, you know, there is, a, there is a real respect. First of all, we're still here, that we're all looking good. In it, we, we think that sounding good and there is a mutual admiration in that and uh, you know we really both cuts both ways and we will go up to artists and go just you know want to say that that song or that album was hugely influential never had the chance to tell you because i've never met you before in the flesh and we get people coming up saying us you know oh god you was so you know i know every song i know this is my favorite album and they we do and that's from an artist to an artist there is there is a real mutual ad admiration society, and people are you know are lovely. They'll they'll you know help each other out where they can if there's you know changes or depping of musicians or sharing who's pro promoters, who's who's good, who's not, what shows you should do. You should ring up and you know I was speaking to Carol Decker about doing a show in Belgium. We were talking about carnets and we were talking about withholding tax and all the boring stuff that you've got to talk about. Um, but it, but we talk about it on that level. It's not manager to manager. It's it's artist to artist, which of course because of the passage of time, a lot of the BS has cut out of it. And, and we're, we're all out there as, as human beings, peddling our wares still, selling some of us uh, selling snake oil. We always think it's snake oil. We can't believe that what we're doing is so, has the validity that it has, but brings so much joy. Because it's magic, isn't it? Music, at the end of the day, it's magic. Even the creators can't understand how it, it's being, it, where it comes from. People say, well, where do you get these ideas from? And they come from somewhere up there. I think it's just being able to channel it is the, is the thing, you know. 
Well, I look forward to you channeling, channeling <laughs> your creativity in the summer on stage um, at uh, various festivals. Marcus Vier, thank you. thank you. Thanks, Steve. It's always a pleasure. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame.